Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. I'm Alex Greenwood. In James Taylor's song, The Frozen Man, he tells a story from the perspective of a 19th century sailor who was blown off the deck of his whaler into frozen seas. A century later, his body is found and he's revived, lamenting being a man out of time. Uh, quoting from the song, not singing, I saw my wife and my daughter and it seems so strange, both of them dead and gone from extreme old age. I know what it means to freeze to death, to lose a little life with every breath, to say goodbye to life on earth, to come around again, Lord have mercy on the frozen man. Well, that's what came to mind because during this time of quarantine and isolation due to COVID-19, many have felt the loneliness uh, and also a feeling of being stuck in time as well as separation and loss of loved ones. Lee Matthew Goldberg's fourth book, The Ancestor, explores the emotional journey of the protagonist Wyatt trying to get back to a life that is familiar. The Ancestor is a brilliant nonstop thriller that leaves readers in the same haze of desire, uncertainty, and fear as the main character whose story begins when his amnesia-dazed mind encounters someone who looks just like him. Suddenly, he's flooded with memories of life he is convinced he has lived, but the images take him back to 1898's Alaskan Gold Rush from 120 years ago. He longs for either the life he once had and the love he experienced or obsesses for a new life that isn't his own. It's a book that makes each of us question our identity, heritage, and fate. I'll tell you, it does for me. So Lee Matthew Goldberg, he's the author of The Ancestor, Slow Down, The Mentor from St. Martin's Press and The Desire Card. He's been published in multiple languages and nominated for the 2018 Prix du Polar. His first sci-fi novel, Orange City, will be published in 2021. He's the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Fringe, dedicated to publishing fiction that's outside the box. I am intrigued to meet this accomplished author and screenwriter, Lee Matthew Goldberg. Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to do this this morning. Ah, very glad to have you. I seriously, you know, a lot of writers might cringe if I quote James Taylor along with their book. James Taylor's great. (laughs) But that song, The Frozen Man, that's from about 20 years ago, I think. Uh, Yeah, I know that one, but it fits perfectly. It really does. He's the character is very uh, melancholy because he's been brought back to life, put a peg leg on, new eye, this whole thing. But then he goes to the graves of the people he loved, and he's just he's unstuck out of his own time. He doesn't know whether to embrace this new life or the old. So that's when I read. It. So when I read about uh, the ancestor, that's what blew me away because while Wyatt, your protagonist, was not frozen in the sea, he does seem to be frozen betwixt two possible realities. Yes, I mean he basically, you know depending on how you read it, if you believe that he was frozen or if you think he's just crazy, but if you believe that he was frozen, it literally was in the Alaskan wilderness where he was hunting for gold as a prospector in the 1890s and kind of an avalanche kind of carried him away. And 120 years later, somehow he magically woke up. There's so many possibilities there. Um, I'm going to ask a couple of basic questions before I get to the meat of this. Have you ever been to Alaska? So I actually haven't. I was planning on doing a book tour there and then kind of COVID sidelined that. Um, But because it took place in a fictional town in Alaska, I didn't want to be too colored by um, what I would see. So I wanted a lot of it to still be from my imagination. I did a ton of research, um, but I I thought that that would be best for this book in particular because it has kind of like a sci-fi supernatural kind of element to it as well. Yeah, you know, I was, uh, here I go, chasing rabbits as I do. I was watching uh, over Halloween weekend, one of my all-time favorite films, John Carpenter's The Thing. And one of the things that is a major character in that story is Antarctica. Mm -hmm. 
the, the, this barren wasteland where these, uh, it's just, it strikes me as that this wasteland creates this incredible uh, blinding white stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I, I find interesting about this one is that you're, you're basically, he's looking back at the Alaskan gold rush where there's hardly anybody there really relatively. Yeah. And, and most people know about the California gold rush, the 49ers and all this, but so, um, but I don't think a lot of people know how dangerous it was for prospectors to attempt to find gold there. So, I mean, it, it was pretty crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, it was completely different than the California gold rush, the, the terrain, the weather bandits. There were so many kind of variables that could kill somebody going to Alaska to try to find it, especially if they were going during wintertime. Um, so, I mean, in the book and from all the research I did, many, many perished. The few that kind of made it to the kind of high points, like a Dawson City where there potentially was gold, um, some of them really made out amazingly because there were so few of them that there was really kind of gold to share um, until that area kind of became a ghost town. People took all the gold, swept it out, and then basically left nothing. Um, so why it reaches that area sort of at its, just after its peak. So the, it already has kind of been, um, it, everybody's kind of kind of calm, taking a lot of the gold and he's just left to kind of deal with whatever was basically remaining. Um, and that's where he um, kind of gets basically trapped in time. I, I wonder if, if this has, was this, was this spawned? I mean, certainly you were writing this before COVID, right? Yes. Yeah. I, 2018. Yeah. 2018. Okay. Well, and forgive me if it's a, if it's a if it's too personal a question. Was this spawned in any way by any any sense something happened with you with any loss you experienced? Yeah, I mean it uh, it didn't when I started it, but my father passed away while I was writing it, um, and he was quite sick. My father was ninety years old, so it really was just a, a lot of things kind of happening towards the end. Um, and so when I started it, he was you know kind of going through some things, uh, but I don't think I would have been able to kind of capture the loss and touch on the loss had I not gone through it myself. Um, So the book is really dedicated to him. And even though I think somebody reading it didn't know him, maybe wouldn't see that. For me, he's kind of exists on every page, like in every word. Um, So it's really exciting for me to have it out there as kind of a testament to him, even though he was not like a prospector, had any connection to Alaska at all. um, He just appreciated a good story. And I think he would have really loved it. You know, my regular listeners to the show know that uh, my, my grandfather was a writer for 50 years. He wrote Westerns, historical fiction, and uh, I was very close with him. He's one of the reasons I'm a writer myself. And um, I went, he had passed about 17 years ago, and I had found that he has been making appearances in my work ever since. And I didn't even know he was until I read it later. Yeah, I mean, I think it was similar. I, I didn't intend for him to become a part of the book. But I mean, there's, a, there's an old character. He's basically, it's a little confusing. He's um, potentially Wyatt's grandson and also his potential great, great grandson's grandfather because he sees a man who looks a lot like him and he believes that he is the ancestor to that man. Um, so he meets you know, the, the kind of patriarch of the family who's around 90 years old, um, believing it to be his grandson Um, so that character kind of became my father a little bit because there's a lot of scenes in the hospital and it was really just what I was dealing with at that time. Um, so it kind of bled into the work. I don't know if it would have normally, um, sort of, you know, otherwise. Uh, but I think that's a a lot of being a fiction writer, you know, you're creating these characters, but 
real people are kind of forming uh, those characters as well. And I think when it works the best is when it kind of subconsciously just flows into the work and it's not like intentional. Um, you know, I'll have every once in a while, like a friend being like, is that character me? And I'm like, no, <laughs> maybe, who knows, you know? Actually, I just tell him, yeah, it's you. Yeah, sure. yeah right. <laughs> and then, then somebody stepped back and said, but wait, he's a, he's a psychopathic murderer. And I said, yes, I know. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> and so this, this goes back. So what other creative influences did you draw upon for the ancestor? Um, there was a lot. I mean, I'm a fan of reading a lot while I'm writing and making sure I'm reading kind of in the vein of what I'm writing. So I think with this one, I like to kind of bill it as like Cormac McCarthy meets Stephen King. Um, I think those are kind of the two best, um, you know, uh, uh, influences for it. So I was reading a lot of Cormac McCarthy and a lot of Stephen King as well. Um, in the midst of also reading a ton of, you know, Alaskan heritage and uh, history and obviously about the Alaskan gold rush too. There were a lot of Klondike books that I read too. So it really was kind of an influence of all of those things. Um, and then there's this band I love, um, Darling Side. They're an indie rock band. Um, and they have a song called The Ancestor. And the initial idea for the book came, it was wintertime and I heard that song. And the first line is, go on, bury me. Um, and I just pictured a man buried in ice and what happens if he wakes up. Um, and, and the book kind of unraveled from there. So I've been in touch with them and I sent them a copy of the book. Um, so we'll see if, um, if they get a chance to read it. Um, they, were, they were really like, that's awesome. You know, they, they were very thankful that um, their song kind of sparked this. So we'll see. It's, it's a great feeling. I, I actually did a running gag. I have a mystery series and I, there, in every, invariably for the, there's seven books, there's a reference to a Colin Hay of minute work fame song. Mm -hmm. And then finally in one book, uh, the lead character gets to go on the today show and he actually meets Colin Hay. Oh, and, cool. and I, and I had a, a, a friend hand him all the books out of <laughs> backstage and he apparently looked at it very perplexed and said thank you i'm quite sure it's all in the garbage but i, I had to make sure he knew that he, he influenced no you know i mean look anybody could be like i'm such a fan but for somebody to be like you know i put you in the book or the book was inspired by you to a musician i mean that's that's amazing i'm working on i just got a a, a two book deal for a young adult series um that's coming out next year um, and it's about a, a girl in the 1990s who's very into grunge, who becomes a singer and runs away from home. Um, so Courtney Love actually has a half of a chapter in the book where um, the, they almost encounter each other. She, she kind of sees her in the distance and hears her speaking. Um, so if the book comes out, I don't know. I'll, I don't know how to reach out to her, but why not? You know, like, what is she doing now? Like, maybe she'll oh, yeah. read the book. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, just tell her it's the it's the whole package. Sorry for the pun. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's all like as as fan service, you know, in yeah. in every way, shape, or form. So I feel like if she ever read it, she would see it. She would see herself portrayed in a good light. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great put it, way to put that. I, I appreciate that that thought. You know, the thinking back on influences though, there's S.J. Roseanne, a best-selling author oh, of Paper yeah, Sun, yeah. said this: Jack London on a really dark day could not have given us a better story of loss, fear, and many kinds of and attempts at love in the Alaskan backcountry. From the icy opening battle of Man versus Wolf, you feel yourself in the hands of a master storyteller, and that feeling never lets up. My goodness, my sir, my my goodness, how do you feel about that? 
Um, I mean, SJ's a good friend, so it was very sweet of her to, to write that. There's Noir at the Bar series um, that, that I do and a bunch of other thriller writers. They're, they're kind of all over America. Um, so I've gotten to know her through that. Um, and yeah, I think, I think she really nailed it. I mean, the book is really sad, but it, it's also very hopeful and there's a lot of other emotions going on. There's adventure, there's intrigue, there's love. You know, there's a love triangle that exists in the book where, you know, two men are basically in love with the same woman and um, for very different reasons. Uh, and, and, you know, as you read it, it kind of changes who you think is ultimately gonna be with her um, at the end. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I was really, really happy with that, which is why I put it on, the, um, the publisher put it on the cover. Well, how do you classify this though? I mean, uh, it's, I'm having a hard time here. It, it's, it's, you keep saying thriller and I understand it is, and that's, yeah. and you're, you're a very accomplished thriller writer, but we've got, we've got historical, we've got, we've got, well, Jack London's name's coming. We've got literary, we've got sci-fi here. What, yeah. what is this? It's. You know, there's an element in the publishing industry that I don't like where everything has to be like, it's put into this category and it's this box and it's just that. And when my agent tried to sell this book, a lot of the big publishers, you know, the big five didn't, they liked it a lot, but they didn't know how to classify it. So they didn't know, it was like their marketing person was like, well, we don't know what to do with this. Um, so it made it a really difficult sell. And luckily my publisher, all due respect, loved it for those reasons. He was like, I love it because it's adventure, it's historical, it's thriller, it's sci-fi, it's literary, it's funny in parts, it's sad in parts. And I, I mean, I think it's, it, I write thrillers, but I tend to write books that are kind of are a little all over the map and could be classified into a bunch of different genres. And to me, that's, that makes it, you know, go in, when you're reading it, go into different directions where it surprises yourself as opposed to just a book you've kind of always read, a thriller where, okay, there's going to be, you know, the, the bad guy's going to be, you know, figured out at the end and, and the hero's going to, you know, come up on top and, you know, all these sort of tropes that we just know. And, you know, my book, it, it's an anti-hero and you love him, but you also really dislike him as well because he, he does some really, really terrible things as his memories of the past start to kind of reform. Um, so you're rooting for him, but you're also not rooting for him at the same time. Um, and I like to think that I just give readers um, sort of a different experience when they pick up my books. I, I find this refreshing. I do. I, I, I don't like the, the being pigeonholed either because someone, uh, just back to my work, sorry, but uh, same yeah, thing. It's, yeah, yeah, it's thrillers, it's mysteries. But I always tell people, you know, my mysteries are easy to solve. It's the, the, the reason you read my books, if you do at all, is because I put interesting characters into mysterious situations. Sure. So, but I get people, eight potential agents, you know, publishers, well, know, is it a thriller or a mystery? I'm like, yeah, it's both. What do you want it to be? And then they think I'm a smart ass. But, <laughs> but it's, there's, an, there's an element where I think uh, th they're almost not sure of what the audience is. So they almost think that they're dumber than they are. And people who are readers are smart. They're already reading books and they're reading it for pleasure. So you have an actually smart person, no matter what they're reading, even if it's like Fifty Shades of Grey, who cares? They're, they're smart enough to like take the time out to read. And I think they're hungry for different types of stories. And it's, it's a problem, I think, with the publishing industry. It's why I'm starting my own press, where we're really looking for things that are off the beaten path and maybe a mix of different genres. And I want it to connect more to Hollywood because I see Hollywood as, as trying newer things and, and, and not, I mean, yes, there's like big budget stuff that's, you know, like the Avengers, 
but you know, indie, you know, video on demand, things like that. There's a lot of stories out there that are really sort of unique and different to, to what we've seen before um, that I'm not always seeing in, in the publishing industry right now. Well, talking about genre or aspects of genre, um, there's a there's a through line of suspense in this book, correct? Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. How, how do you how do you get that going? It, that, that sounds easier said than done. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I've heard the old the old uh, saw about well, you're on a runaway freight train, the brakes don't work. That's suspense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, but mm-hmm. what do you, what's your thoughts on that as a writer? I mean, I think suspense is the most important thing. Suspense and tension is the most important thing obviously in thrillers, but I think in any book, you know, even in a romantic comedy, you need that suspense. Will they get together? Will they not get together? You know, is there another person going to kind of come between them? Um, And it's really difficult to do. I heard Stephen King actually talk about how he deals with it. And as he's writing, he ramps up the suspense as you're getting to the bottom of the page. So you want to turn the page. And whether that actually translates to the printed version, um, I don't think it even matters. I think just kind of thinking that way, always kind of ramping up the tension as much as possible, you know, and sometimes you can give your characters different scenarios, you know, um, in your head and then kind of think, well, which is the one that's gonna maximize the most kind of, you know, butterflies in the reader's stomach or something like that, that's still gonna be believable. Um, so I often plot out my, I'm a, I'm a plotter, not a pantser, you know, like seat of your pants. Um, so I plot out all my books, but I always leave room for, you know, flying off the seat of my pants. If, you know, it just comes to me where like, this character has to die and that character has to die because ultimately it's going to make for a better book. And then you sadly kill that character and, you know, you deal with the suspense that's kind of created from that. Yeah, I, it's an it's a, it's a old question of mine. Usually, are you a plotter or a pantser in there? You've already answered it. Uh, um, as I get older and get deeper into what I've been doing, I've been finding, I'm more of a pantser, I have been finding the need to perhaps outline a little more than I used to. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it just saves time for myself. Like the first book I wrote took about 10 years to write. Um, and it was definitely by the seat of my pants. It became my debut novel, but it just, it just took so long and so many different iterations. And I think I also didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was, I was so new to like creating a novel. But these days it's like, I don't have the time. So like, I will fully, almost like it's, like it's a screenplay, I'll plot it out sort of beat to beat, chapter by chapter. Um, and like I'm working on right now, the, the sequel to that YA book. So, you know, um, the sequel to the, the 90s grunge book. Um, and I spent last week just plotting the whole thing out, chapter by chapter. And as you get towards the end, some stuff will change. That's kind of inevitable. But at least then when I sit down, I know what I'm doing that day. I'm not just wasting time kind of thinking of things, you know. Um, so I feel like it, 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 it allows me to kind of maximize my, my work potential as much as possible. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, uh, I, I do enjoy it when the characters seem to take me somewhere. But I think the corollary to that, as again, as I get older and maybe, and a lot of it probably is frankly due to COVID and an uncertain political situation in this country, all these distressors. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I think that my, uh, a couple of things have happened and that's what leading me into a question, by the way. Uh, but it, my, I found my attention span has been demolished to a degree. Um, I find it's, I find it very difficult even to read lately. And I think that, and actually I found out that's fairly normal for a lot of people. It, yeah. People are 
too on edge. They're too tense with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but then, the, unfortunately, and see, this sounds like I'm making all these excuses that my late grandfather would have been like, sit down and put on your egg timer and write. You know, that's what he would say. But I'm having a tough time finishing up. I've, I've got a book that's completely six months late, and it won't be finished by the end of the year. It's just not going to happen. It's not working. So I, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, how are you faring as a, as a writer and a creative during COVID? Yeah. Um, actually really great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're done. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. For me, it's been like the opposite. It's a way of escaping all this. So like, I, I oftentimes when I write and I'm really into something, I like leave my body. So I just go away for like three or four hours. Um, so, I mean, in the height of this, and like I live in midtown New York City. So at the worst of it in, you know, March, April, May, where like the city was like on fire, you know, for me, it was just a way of escaping all that. I would just go and I was working on a, a separate book that I finished and for four to five hours out of the day, I had a break from everything. And I mean, I don't have children. So I think that helps too. I think, you know, then I would not have five hours <laughs> during a pandemic. You would not. <laughs> so I think that's allowed me to do it. But yeah, for me, it's, it's you know, it's, it's been an, uh, an escape and I've gotten actually a lot done. I've just taken about two months off. I took just a break from, from writing and I left the city and I got a place on the beach and just kind of escaped for a while. Um, so that was really, really great. But then I came back like so hungry to start writing again. Like I miss it. And for myself, like I get a little depressed if I'm not writing. Yeah. Um, so I, I always have to be working, at least working on something like in my head, like it's just the way my brain works. Um, but I've heard from a lot of writer friends who've gotten zero done and have been unable to read. And I think like, you know, these times you just have to allow, you, you can't beat yourself up about it. We're in a really crappy, terrible time right now. And however you get through the day, you know, and give yourself some type of like happiness or whatever is, is a successful day. And if that's writing right now, that's great. And if it's not, you'll write again. You know, it, I, I think to like, you know, flagellate yourself over not getting something done right now. Um, it, 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 it's just not fair. It's not fair to yourself. Thank you for saying that, by yeah. the way, N- not just for me, but there, I have multitude of listeners who have connected with me. Same thing. Um, although a few like yourself, it's their escape valve. And I'm trying to work towards that. It's so funny. You're talking about where you live. I was in March, uh, third week of March, I was supposed to be at a conference in the financial district. Mm. Yeah. And it was all the way up to the week before, before they, the organizers, the international conference for my day job. Uh, we're not doing this. We'll get back to you. And, um, and it's just, they moved it to October and I'll just never forget, uh, we went online, but I still had my hotel reservation open and I get this panic. I get panicked. There's a notification that, Oh, you got a thousand dollar worth of hotel. That's going to hit, you know, day after tomorrow, you better go cancel that. But I think it depressed me a little further because not only would I have gone to a conference there, but I would have seen several friends who live there. And New York city has this ability to considering me and I'm not knocking where I live. Kansas city, Missouri is a gorgeous city, but Mm -hmm. New York City has a way of just injecting that creative energy into my veins. I mean, nothing is like New York. I, I grew up here. I've lived here my whole life. I've lived in Manhattan my whole life, except for college. So I'm like as New York as it kind of comes. Like, um, like I write every day in Central Park under a tree. Like, I'm, no. Yeah, like not today. Today is 39 degrees. So like today I'm not going to do it. Um, but tomorrow should be like 48. So I feel like tomorrow is a possibility possibility 
and then it's like 60s for the rest of the week so i'll definitely be in in the park but yeah new york is such an energy and like i mean i love leaving and i i'm, I'm a little bit of a country mouse in some ways as well um but i i i think it would hurt my writing not to be here because there's so many lives and so many stories and there's just like you said like an energy that exists here and still exists i mean it, it went away in april yes but like if you walk outside now you know all the restaurants that still exist are have all their you know outdoor seats opening and people are there and like this notion that like new york is dying and I, i'm it's fine you know like we're going through a period like everybody is and you know we're if forty thousand people left, we're nine million people. will be okay. You know, like <laughs> there are almost too many people here to begin with. Like it's it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. You know, and, and I'm I'm such a cliche, but I, I just uh, everything from the, the the slice of pizza to to Central Park, though I I cannot tell you, and not to get off too much on 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 this part, but just I can't tell you just how. Uh, uh, I won't say it changed my life, but just how it changed my perspective when I actually set foot in Central Park. Yeah, it's the most, it, I get so much like, it like feeds my soul. Um, and it's always weird for me in winter when I'm not there regularly because it's literally my office. So like I'm there like three to four days a week and I can give people tours. Like, I mean, I know Central Park like the back of my hand just because I'm there so much. Um, but it's, it's a magical place. Look, it's, it's a city, like we said, with 9 million people and it's pavements and it's, you know, garbage on the streets sometimes, and it could be dirty. And you go to Central Park and it's just this like woodland paradise that exists, you know, that's a couple miles one way and a couple miles the other way. It's huge. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I dedicate all my books at the end in the acknowledgements to my tree. Yeah. Man, that's fantastic. I love that. So uh, let me ask you a quick, quickly, as we're getting into our final moments here, I, I know you want to get back to your tree, not today, but tomorrow, but uh, tell me about Fringe. What's this sure. all about? Yeah, so, I mean, we've had to kind of postpone it a little bit. Originally, it was coming out this year. We were going to launch, um, and obviously, I, I, I just made a, a executive decision to not launch it during COVID, just because why, you know? Um, so what Fringe is basically is um, we're kind of books off the beaten path. I, I wanted, you know, do books that maybe a, a mainstream publisher would be like, we don't know how to market this. Um, those are kind of the books for us. Um, almost like if David Lynch wrote books, you know, which he does, but like <laughs> he wrote fiction books, but that's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, but then all, I, I, I'm very, you know, kind of, trying to plug myself into Hollywood and, and forge a career in that way as well. Um, so I want all of, the, all of the books to have potential to become movies or TV series. So we've partnered with um, their, the script pipeline guys and the book pipeline guys. They've had a, a competition series uh, for about 15 plus years in, in the industry. And uh, movies have come out of it, like the Snow White movies came out of somebody who won one of their things. So they've, they've had multiple, multiple sort of successes that they fed through a pipeline. Um, so all of our books will be kind of passed through their pipeline and they have a special fringe category um, every, that they'll, they're gonna do every year. They're about to announce actually the winner of this year and we'll, we'll have a close first look at it, likely to publish um, all of those winners. Um, so it's a cool kind of partnership that I feel like is happening in the publishing world and the Hollywood world. 
that are kind of merging together. Um, and that being said, we, we, we just have to delay everything. Um, so the goal now I'm thinking is um, the beginning of 2022, just to hmm. be safe, just to be safe. Are we looking at strictly aged uh, manuscripts when you start looking? No, I would, I, I would like writers that ha necessarily aren't like a debut author that have yeah. some kind of like, because I think to really have a successful book these days, it's equally the publisher and the writer putting forth that effort publicity wise. So I want to work with people that are either eager to put in sort of, you know, money and, and stuff to really publicize the book um, or just are known sort of well enough. So like um, I'm publishing, um, it's, it's a, a, a great author, my friend, Margot Berwin. Um, she has these two novellas that, that, that I'm going to be publishing uh, kind of as one package. Um, and her first book um, that came out with Random House a couple of years ago, there was a script for Julia Roberts who was interested at the time. So I want to work with people that have some kind of connection to the industry. Um, and I'm debating now sort of how heavy to put um, sort of e-versions versus, you know, print versions. Um, I almost want to start really just e and get the work out there because hollywood could care less about a print version so to feed the books to like development people i know as much as possible and then if there's buzz to kind of build the paperback around that necessarily um to kind of maximize how much money we're putting into it so there's a bunch that i'm still working on and i'm almost glad to have this extra like year and a half to kind of get it as right as possible. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, I think anything in this industry that's new and different, it's like, why not? I, I appreciate that. I think it's important because uh, one question I never let an accomplished author escape from the show without asking is this, is where is it all going as an industry? As where, I want to know, please, your take on where it's all going. It's a hard question. I mean, with COVID, who knows? I think that's a big kind of variable. There always will be people who read and, and want books, you know, in, in print versions and e-versions and audio. And audio is like doing amazing these days. Um, so I think it'll always be there. Uh, to me, I look at some indie presses and they're just doing more like challenging, interesting things than some of the, the mainstream. So I, I would think the mainstream has to kind of figure out some other ways to, um, I don't know, just change things up in the industry. Like, I mean, I'm dealing with something with, with, with a, a mainstream publisher and I have the movie connections and they want to make the movie. And I'm like, here is this thing, you just have to sign off on it. And it's taking a month right now where I'm like, just sign off on it. Like, <laughs> like it, even if it's a tiny movie, like here it is. And there's all this red tape and it's just like, for, everybody should forget that. It's like, you're just trying to make books bigger and trying to get them in the hands of people. That's, that's really the main sort of goal. So I hope that there's like younger people coming up in the industry that are thinking of it in different terms and are kind of changing sort of the stalwart almost ways, um, but we'll see. Yeah, and I love that Netflix is apparently not afraid to take a lot of risks on a lot of titles. Yeah, you know, Netflix, I think, off of a Reddit story, just paid a million dollars to authors to make a series off of a short story. They have, you know, they're in the industry, but still, it's like, why not, you know? And 
Hollywood's really looking to writers, especially novel writers these days, because we know how to tell a long form story. So it translates very well to TV. Um, so all of a sudden we're like hot commodities, especially because they could pay us nothing, which is a lot for us and nothing for them and potentially really get something to come out of it. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we're like, you know, the unicorns in the industry that people want to be with. Um, so we'll see. So, so am I hearing this right? Uh, maybe Hollywood doesn't treat the writer like something stuck on the bottom of their shoe anymore? I think they do. But I think, um, you know, at least for like, at least for like a novelist, it could potentially really be actual money that could change your life, where that's very hard in terms of a book, you know, oh, yeah. like your book has to be like on another level for to really be that where Hollywood could just buy up the property, even if they don't make it and throw you some money. And like, that's like really amazing money. So it's just changed my way of kind of looking at this industry. I'm looking at a book as the starting point and then, you know, almost like the root of the tree and then what could grow from that. Um, you know, it could be a video game. It could be a TV series. It could be something on, who knows, you know? So I think all writers these days should just don't limit yourself. Like there's so many possibilities to what, your book could become and like you never know you could hit up a producer on instagram and they could reply i mean you have access to people that you never had before I'm not saying it's going to work but like it doesn't hurt to try you know we had bert weisbord uh on the show recently and he's going to come back actually um he uh, was a producer in hollywood of uh, now I, i'm probably a little older than you maybe not but um there was a movie do you remember ghost story the peter straub novel they made it into a movie with fred astaire and um, Melvin Douglas. Okay, maybe you don't remember, but uh, yeah, yeah. Alice Krieg. It was in the, is the early 80s. I was okay. a little boy, of course, when it was on, but it was a pretty successful film. He also did a film called Raggedy Man with Sissy Spacek. He was a producer and we had him on and he discussed how uh, he produced a lot of stuff in Hollywood, but now he, he just, he, he felt that from his experience, and now he's older than us, that um, the writers were not getting their due. And he was, he viewed himself as being a producer who was friendly to writers. And he just saw that that was less and less the case. And so he's retired from Hollywood and now has a successful thriller, a uh, couple of series going. So it's interesting to me, and I think for, for regular listeners to show, to hear your perspective on how it is now as somebody young up and coming, so to speak, compared to Bert, who is um, kind of doing a, a, a kind of a line in winter yeah. aspect of his career. I mean, I think it just gives your career like more arms, like sort of why not, you know, I, and that's how I've thought of it. It, it. Again, it's just like, why limit yourself, you know, to I only write this, like, you know, you could write anything. I know that it, it's, that industry is very, very hard to break into. I think it's even harder than, you know, publishing industry to break into, which is impossible in and of itself um, but to really become a successful screenwriter. Yeah, but the difference as a novelist going out there is you're not just some like, random person who everybody's written a screenplay in LA. You're a dime a dozen. But you have a novel out there. It's a physical thing that's actually published that you could like, you know, they won't take the physical copy, but you could send them the PDF connected to it. Um, it, it just makes you different. And like, I mean, I've gotten the runaround out there multiple times where people love me and then they ghost me and I never hear from them. And then a year later, I have another project and they love me again. So I'm not saying in any way, shape or form, it's perfect. I'm just trying to figure out a good way to bridge the two industries because they're so closely aligned that they should be connected more. You shouldn't just deal with like a book to film person that works at a, at a company that maybe has a connection to your publisher. Like 
you should be able to connect all these things and meet these people and you know be your own agent for you know i i don't know i i I think it's just like losing all these middle people maybe yeah well yeah and uh, you, you know writers listening here's the takeaway right here i think you know passivity will get you nowhere yeah um, yes do not be the frozen man here um you've got to create a platform for yourself you've got to make a little noise don't be don't be an idiot don't go out there with stuff that's not any good but when you've got all your stuff together make a plan and get out there and i love your uh uh uh, analogy, you know, having all these different arms going on, all these yeah, different things yeah. happening. You know, that's one reason I started a podcast five years ago is like, I want to reach different people. Yeah. I mean, again, there's, there's so many ways, you know, like here you're in Kansas City and I'm in New York and we're having a conversation. We live in a time these days where there's so many different ways to kind of be connected and have access to each other. I like to think of myself too, like, I just hustle every day. I'm just always hustling. I'm a hustler. I'm a writer, but I'm really first like, the business and the hustler so i'm just always trying to like throw everything at the wall and then hopefully some things stick and and if you do it on such a that kind of level when something that you love doesn't stick it hurts a little bit less because i've had that too where like a project has kind of fell through and you're like oh but then if you have another one that you're working on you're like okay i'm just gonna put my focus now on this one and you know hopefully that's gonna be the one and the great thing about writing novels is that novel always exists. 20 years later, somebody could be interested in it as a, as some author I just saw, he's like on my Facebook feed. I think his book came out 30 years ago and now it's going to be a TV series. Somebody kind of contacted him after reading it in quarantine, you know, so you never know. You do never know. Lee Matthew Goldberg, should we go to LeeMatthewGoldberg.com to learn more about you? And yeah, to, exactly. do we have links to your, where to buy your books there? Um, yes, there's links to all my books, um, any press I've done, um, and any sort of upcoming events that I have, which is not that many because, you know. Because, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you could find out all the information about me there. And if you're in New York City and you see somebody furtively scribbling into a notebook under a tree, that may very well be. Yeah, yeah. If you happen to be in the 70s in Central Park, it's a good chance to <laughs> me. Hey, Lee, thanks so much for appearing here on Mysterious Goings On. I've really enjoyed meeting you. Thank you so much, Alex. This was a pleasure to do, and I hope you have a great day. Yeah. Folks, I'll just leave you with this. Lord have mercy on the frozen man. We're all frozen men and women to a degree, but I think we can escape just like Leah suggested. And I suggest you escape into the ancestor. I'm going to. No joke. Gonna do it. I'm intrigued. It's got all the elements that I really enjoy. Be sure to check out MGOPod.com for the show notes. There'll be a link to Lee and probably a book cover picture and a picture of his mug up there too. And I hope you'll check that out again on MGOPod.com. So I'm Alex Greenwood. Until next time, keep reading.